Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. Good morning, Ron. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Sally. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Ron, we're really keen to podcast you today because what we've noticed is that you have a very human side to what you're doing in the world, and that's just wonderful. So I'm just briefly going to say that what I've read and what I know about you is your passion is to empower people by a comprehensive and leading success formula that is based on advanced psychology. So that's correct, Ron. Am I correct there? You are, and thank you for uh, you know emphasizing the word empowerment. I, uh, there is a big difference in helping people and empowering people. And empowerment is a form of helping, but I, I feel that it's the most sustainable way of helping people because you are enabling them and you're providing them with the tools to be able to help themselves as opposed to making them dependent. So thanks for pointing that out. No, that's okay. And that's a model that um, we totally support and agree with because we don't want people feeling um, helpless and as victims. We want them to have some lifelong skills so that they can manage themselves, you know, proactively. So we know the stats around mental health. We know that one in four people throughout the world will be affected at some point of their lives. And we know that around 450 million people currently suffer from these such conditions. So I don't want to dwell on that, but we know that it is a major problem. The facts are there to support it. Organisational leaders who focus on mental health in the workplace have greater respect for their people and they are using a proactive model. What I want to ask you today, Ron, is why is this going so unnoticed? Why aren't we giving these people the skills and tools? Where in leadership are we are we not getting it in that it is serious business and can make such a difference to people's lives and to the workplace? Such a good question, Sally. And for, first of all, I just want to congratulate you on the work that you're doing because this is a conversation that it's just not being had enough in the workplace. And to your question, um, my response would be that we, the work system traditionally, if you look at the work system in the corporate system, it's a byproduct of the industrial revolution. Um, so the industrial revolution work system rewards, um, human beings for their minds and their physical capabilities. It doesn't really recognize human beings as emotional and spiritual creatures as well because it can't be measured. Or, well, that's what they think anyway. So what, so what's happened? So what, if you look at how people get rewarded and compensated, um, is that people are treated like a mind and a body. So you give us your mind and your body and you give us your time and then in return we pay you a certain amount. Now, because of the way business traditionally works, where there's a lot of emphasis on return on investment, revenue, net profitability, costs, so on and so forth, a lot of the times leaders forget that they're dealing with human beings, they're dealing with emotional creatures. And so much of the leadership training and management training is based on, uh, you know, communicating with employees recognizing that people have hidden needs and they have hidden biases and they have hidden insecurities. 
And if you look at how professional development has worked up until this point, there's been so much emphasis on skills-based training, professional training, academic training, so on and so forth. Uh, and what's now what they're finding is uh, one research said that over $100 billion is being spent by American companies on professional development and skills-based edu education, but there is no, they're not finding a corresponding increase in productivity, engagement, and performance. In fact, litigation against employers is rising. Uh, what we're also starting to see is that sick leave is rising, dissatisfaction at work is rising, and productivity and performance is dropping. And these are all symptoms of a broader issue where we are not communicating with human beings as human beings. And so we have become so robotic and so mechanical in the way we work now that we are failing to recognize that we're dealing with somebody that also has an emotional component to them. And so uh, now, obviously, over a period of time, you know, then once that system gets passed on from generation to generation and generation, then, then people just start to do these things automatically without really thinking. And even when they are, when they, when they uh, claim that they're giving, you know, importance to, you know, human issues, in many cases, it's just lip service because it, they're not really going deep and putting initiatives. You will find that if you look at the budgets of large corporations, uh, they put a disproportionate amount of money towards professional development uh, versus um, personal development or giving employees the tools to be able to manage their thoughts and feelings. So it's just a byproduct of the industrial revolution. Yes, and you've, you've made some very um, valid points there. We are emotional beings, and from my experience, it's being swept under the carpet, um, which is, you know, creating great problems. Um, so a, a survey by um, World Health Organization, only 52% of of employees believe that the, their workplace is mentally healthy. I guess with all the data to show how it can actually impact on the company's financial um, financial profit at the end of the day when you're not having absenteeism, when you're not having you know people being non-productive because of things going in their life, what what are we missing? What message do we need to send our leaders so they actually get it, so they actually get that this is going to help their company? Where are we going wrong is what I'm trying to say. What What's your recommendation on making this change? Well, before we go into recommendation, I think we've got to identify the problem correctly. And so much, much of what the initiatives that are out there are what I call effects-based. They fix the symptoms. They don't correctly identify the problem. And that's why you see a lot of money being thrown and lots of initiatives and lots of noise being made around, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But it doesn't really work because they haven't really correctly identified the problem. So we've got a number of problems. First of all, if you look at the culture in the business place, it's all about short-term orientation. Short-term orientation means that executives and CEOs are rewarded and uh, shareholders are rewarded on short-term performance, right? So that's the first problem. So if you have, say, for example, I walk into a depressed company and I spend three or four years in that company, I make some quick changes, I push people to work harder, you know, I start cutting costs, I get rid of people. By doing that, I, as I reduce the costs, I drive up the revenue, People think I'm an amazing CEO. I get these massive bonuses and then I'm out. I serve my three or five year term. I'm out. It doesn't matter that I've left a trail of destruction behind me. 
right? So valid, yeah. yes. Because there's no way of measuring it. So what I, one, of the, one of the first things that needs to happen, I think, is at the top leadership level, remuneration and bonuses need to be tied to long-term performance, not short-term performance, meaning that if you're a CEO and you come into a company, even if you serve three to five years, your compensation needs to be based on where the company is at in another 10 years after you've left, meaning that it needs to be, hey, we'll pay you a percentage of your compensation now, and then the rest of your compensation will be paid if the company is still producing that level of sustaining that performance and profit after 10 years, after five years. So it needs to be incrementally fed and paid to the, the CEOs and executives as opposed to being paying as a lump sum. Because there's so many things you can do in the short term to drive profitability, right? And you can really, really destroy people in doing that. So that's the number one problem. In the Western world, we have this obsession with short-term orientation. All of our marketing, the way we think, the way we are conditioned to seek instant gratification we are culturally ingrained to reward short-term performance. That is the biggest issue. Research after research is now starting to show that you have to take long-term view in business and money. And so and anytime people take short-term views, they're, they're bound to take shortcuts. They're bound to do the wrong things because it's easy to, to drive that. So I think this is a cultural problem. I heard somebody say that in China, if you go and get a finance for a business, you need to show them a 100-year plan. Because what you're basically demonstrating is that you care that this business is not just about making a quick buck. You actually care about legacy. You care about, and, and you're seeing this even in Australia, you're starting to see this as the population of Australia is starting to grow. You see areas where there's no infrastructure and you see that the leaders who would, who would have been in charge of that, that infrastructure spending were maybe only thinking short term back then. They were not thinking hundred years ahead, 500 years ahead, thousand years ahead. And so that's the biggest issue we have. We've got to teach leaders that the long-term orientation is what it's about, not short-term orientation. That's the fundamental problem that we've got in organizational culture. Unless you fix that, you can't fix anything because all we're doing is we're just fixing the symptoms. Everybody's making noise. Everyone's pretending that they care. But in the long term, that's where it starts because fundamentally, if we are mentally conditioned to um, – you know, to emphasize short-term performance and instant gratification, then then those behaviors are going to come from there. So that's the fundamental issue, I believe. The, the second issue is that I think we need to really recognize that all of uh, human beings' capabilities, they don't just come from their intellectual capabilities. Uh, for example, uh, a human being who has highly developed intellectual faculties of reasoning, memory, and analysis may do a fantastic job at work. But they could have all of that and still not be self-aware mm, and not have the tools for self-mastery. So we need to, in the, in the business world, we need to emphasize personal development education. Already we're starting to find that people don't even use 10 or 20% of what they already know and what they've been trained on. People don't use it. We know that there is a massive disconnection between what people know and what people do. So we can't just keep piling on more and more knowledge on them, more and more information, more and more training. Oh, do this, do this, do this, do this. Are they even using the stuff that they've learned five years ago? And a, a, an individual who is not self-aware, regardless of their intellect, is not an in individual that's going to perform at a high level because they haven't got the mental tools to be able to manage their thoughts and emotions and their behaviors and their performance. So these are fundamentally the two big things that need to happen. And these are cultural changes in business. Number one, we need to emphasize long-term orientation. And number two, we need to start treating human beings as more than just a mind and a body. And this is, a, and this is not going to happen in the short term. And we're looking at paradigms don't shift quickly. If you look at 
any world culture today. I mean, how is culture formed? Let's talk about how cultures are formed. And this will give us an insight into why these things don't change quickly. Well, first of all, a person has a thought. When they hold that thought long enough and they believe it to be true, that thought becomes a belief. When that belief is shared with a number of people, it becomes culture. And when it's passed on from generation to generation, it becomes tradition. Once it becomes, once any belief becomes culture and tradition, people stop questioning it. They start believing it blindly. I think about just in the last hundred years, some of the beliefs that people had, you know, white people are superior to black people, men are superior to women, so on and so forth. What happened? They were just beliefs, but they were ingrained in people for generations, for hundreds and thousands of years. And that's what happens. And that didn't happen quickly. I mean, as the, as a race, the human race has been around for a couple hundred thousand years. And it's only now in the last 10 or 20 years, we're starting to recognize that women and men are equal. It's ridiculous. And I, I, I sit here and I think, well, all that's happened in the last hundred years is technology has evolved. Humans haven't evolved in their thinking. And so if the leaders are not evolving, then how are the followers going to evolve? And the business literature has to be rewritten. The business literature needs to emphasize um, these moral principles. There needs to be more emphasis on principle-centric behaviors. And wh what happens is the moment you talk about this sort of stuff, people's eyes start to glaze over because they start to go, oh, this is too esoteric, it can't be measured. Of course it can be measured. That's absolute rubbish that it can't be measured. A, 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 an engaged employee who is inspired, who's purposeful, who has you know, has a, a balanced life, is fulfilled at home, can manage their finances, are not can deal with stress. But but they don't people don't want to listen because it's so ingrained. These behaviors are ingrained. And you have to understand, Sally, this is this is generations and generations of thinking and feeling. And intelligence is not so much about what you know. It's about being flexible in your thinking. And that's the kind of intelligence that they need to start teaching in schools and universities, which they currently not. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done in this space. A valid point there, Ron, a valid point. Let's look at our education system or, or even let's look at, um, I watch TV and I watch our politicians sending a message of it's okay to yell, it's okay to shake your fists, it's okay to blame. Our, our grand, my grandchildren are watching that. Then at school, there is still so much emphasis placed on academics. So year 11s and 12s at the moment, ringing us constantly, I have to pick my subjects for my future. So there's still this emphasis on you must do this, you must do that. And emotional intelligence is a word that I feel has been bandied around too much, but it's a really, really big thing in self-awareness. How do you think we start to incorporate that? What are your thoughts on how we get universities and schooling systems to start to incorporate that into our into my grandchildren's learning? I think first of all, we look we've got to look at and see what's happening around the world. Um, so let's recognise the fact that most people are failing in life. Okay, just because you have a good job today and stability in. in in employment doesn't mean you're doing well in life because we already know CNBC recently came out with CNN actually came out with the research recently and said that if you live in a Western world, if you live in one of the major capital cities, and this was primarily based in it's an American research, but I do believe that it applies in Australia as well. A couple for them to be able to live a reasonable lifestyle now, raise their kids, pay off their mortgage and have a comfortable retirement need collectively, they need 300,000 per annum coming in. Yes. Now, let's just talk about what's happening around the world. 80% of Australians supposedly are retiring with less than a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Okay. 
Now, this is in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. We have uh, alarming rates and rising rates in anxiety, depression, suicide, violence, substance abuse, which are all symptoms of a big problem. And these are all symptoms. You can't fix the symptoms. You've got to fix the problem. And the problem is that our education system, again, it's inadequate. Our education system labels us as intelligent based on intellect. It fails to recognize that there are a number of different types of intelligences. Emotional intelligence is one of them. And emotional intelligence simply means the ability to regulate your own emotions and to be able to read other people's emotions. But there's also social awareness, social intelligence, how you interact with people, how socially sensitive are you in, in interacting with people. There's financial intelligence. Do you understand numbers? Do you understand economics? Do you understand the fundamentals of, you know, uh, of money because it's such an important commodity in the world? Then there's commercial intelligence. Do you understand the fundamentals of demand and supply, pricing? and so on and so forth, and how the commercial world works, how the markets work. Then there's spiritual intelligence. This big one, yes. Then there's heart-based intelligence, which is not an esoteric concept at all. If you look at the, the research being done by the Heart Math Institute, they're finding that the heart as an organ is quite possibly more intelligent than the brain. It has a natural intelligence. We feel things. We have this intuitive sense. So we've got to start to understand that intelligence cannot be, can no longer be defined in, in, in a single dimension. It, it's a multidimensional field and we need to develop people across those different intelligences because otherwise what we're going to see, and we're already starting to see an epidemic of people that have all these qualifications and these titles cannot manage their thinking, cannot manage their health, cannot manage their relationships, cannot manage their career and cannot manage their finances. I mean, that is not a well-balanced individual. And, you know, as bad as it sounds, majority of individuals don't have that together. Now, instead of blaming the individual, this is not about blame. This is first about correctly identifying the problem. Then the second is it's about taking responsibility or responsibility needs to be taken both at an organizational and leadership level as well as at an individual level. We can't just shift the responsibility and say it's the leaders and the organizations and the government's job. It is also the individual's job. Because at the end of the day, I know as a leader, there's only so much that I can do to inspire, motivate people and get them to take action. If the individual in themselves lacks the awareness, lacks the drive, then that's an, another issue as well. So we've got to have responsibility both ways. And I totally agree. And it's not about leaving people in victimhood, but people in organizations that, you know, are fearful are in a culture that's ingrained with negativity they don't know what they don't know so you know the individual does need to take responsibility but quite often they don't know how and so from, from what from our work that that's the missing link i find is is bringing the leader and the individual together to be on the same page so that there is a plan so that they can understand what self-awareness is. We don't learn that at school. We don't go to school and go, we're having self-awareness class, we're having maths class. Or So do you think, Ron, there is a new model there to be incorporated so that we're not just focused on this academic, you got the best results ever, you're going to go places, because those people aren't going places. That, that model you just spoke about with financial intelligence, spiritual intelligence and emotional intelligence, nobody's picking up on that model and going, this is what 
this is what we need. And and it won't happen straight away. You think about the fact that in any type of movement, any type of revolution that's happened in the past, in the history of the world, has taken time because it, what happens is with any truth, and people know this fundamentally, they know their system and business system is broken. Everybody knows it. But here is what happens. When a new truth emerges, it has to go through three stages. In, in the first stage, it's violently opposed just because it's change and human beings don't like change. At the second stage, it, it's ridiculed. And at the third stage, it's accepted as inevitable. Well, so we, we are starting to see an emergence of this particular level of consciousness and awareness. I mean, this, this, it's no um, coincidence that you are doing this particular podcast. There are more and more people talking about these issues. There is a, a generally overall worldwide, there is elevation of human consciousness going on. We are starting to become aware that what are we doing? We're still killing people. We're still torturing animals. We're still molesting kids. What is wrong with us as a species? We're still greedy. We're still greedy. We still, we, we still have that mindset of competitive and, and scarcity based thinking. Why, why, how can we not evolving? So people are starting to question that sort of stuff. And people like yourself, me, and there's a lot of people in my network because you can't fix the problem without bringing awareness to it. So this particular initiative that you're involved with is a wonderful initiative because what it does is it says to people, hey, stop, by the way, there is something not right here and we need to do something about it. Um, so so that's, that's definitely in the right direction, but it's going to take time. There needs to be more and more of this message. We need to have more passionate people getting behind this. And like you, when you sent me a message, you said, Ron, I want more people with influence and leaders to get behind this. Well, this is exactly how you do it. You get people of influence, people who are, who have authority, who have, uh, who have uh, credibility in the marketplace to get behind this. But you have to constantly sell that message to them as well. So you have to be so relentless and persevere with this. And I have to do the same thing. So if there's collective, you know, a few of us start to do this, you know, you, you can start to change the way the world works, but it's going to take time. I, I do believe that there's going to be a lot of changes that are going to happen in our lifetime itself. I mean, I, I have already made significant changes. For example, I have actually developed curriculums in this space. We are starting to pitch it to corporates, Fortune 500 companies. We're starting to pitch it to schools. And we call it success education. And we have 27 different elements that we've identified that contribute to becoming a holistically successful human being. It has those elements in there, financial intelligence, commercial intelligence, emotional intelligence. It's got everything, productivity, performance. It's got all of that sort of stuff in there. So we have to, for me, it's about pushing this into school curriculums. But right now, there is resistance because it's new, right? People always treat anything new with skepticism. And, they, and they're comfortable where they are. So why change? The thing is, they're not going to be comfortable in the long term. There is already pain coming. If you've noticed in the last two decades what's happened in Australia, Life people are barely able to afford to pay their mortgages. They're not retiring comfortably. So things are starting to shift already. The pain is starting to come through. And I always say the wise people take action before they have to. But majority of the people wait until pain strikes before they start to take action. So there's nothing else we can do other than keep driving that awareness and, and inspire people to take action before things go wrong. And it all starts with education as far as I'm concerned. And it all starts, like you said, in being proactive. So I was very interested to hear that you already um, have this model and you've started to drive it. Tell us a little bit more about your model, Ron. Well, so what one of the things we did was, and we started with the men's market in the beginning. Um, so we we um, we looked at the statistics worldwide. And I asked myself a question a number of years ago, look at all the problems that exist in the world. So let's just talk about poverty, 
financial crime, financial scandals, uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking, drugs. How, what percentage of those problems are caused by human beings? A good percentage. So we first thought if we're going to change the world problems, we've got to start with men. Because as long as men are not self-aware and they don't have the tools for self-mastery, they, that problem is not going to get fixed. So we started with the men's market first. We thought, okay, we're going to launch success education for men with the objective of helping them become more self-aware, self-empowered, and achieve tools for self-mastery. Why? Very simple. A man that is on purpose, inspired, clear, aligned, centered, financially secure, and confident within himself becomes an asset to his family. He becomes an asset to his community. He becomes an asset to his industry. He becomes an asset to his country. Yes. So one of the things when I, when I initially started this, we I actually had a, I was speaking at a women's event and a woman said to me, why are you doing this? Don't you understand that women need help? And I looked at her and I said, who do you think we're trying to help? And so the first thing we did was we said, this is where we start. Now we are going to, now we're starting to develop versions of this where we are working on the successful employee. We're working on the successful woman. We're working on the successful child. We are basically designing different versions of this program. But we wanted to start with men because that's where fundamentally, that was where we identified the biggest issue. And we thought if we can fundamentally shift the consciousness of men generally worldwide, then that's going to start to shift things in the world. Because if you look at majority of the leaders in the business world are of the male species. So you can't just go to a great university, get your MBA degree, and then become a leader because all you've done is you've just learned professional skills. What about life skills? Yes. Right. So this is, that's why we wanted to complement those professional skills. So this is not about undermining professional skills. It's about just saying that, look, the professional skills and the academic system is inadequate. There's nothing wrong with it. Implemented with life success education, then you have a holistic solution there. And that's what we started to do. So we are working on something called the successful employee, which is uh, going to be pitched at corporates, which is all about giving employees the tools to be able to balance other aspects of their life, right from understanding what success means to them. How can they find meaning in their work? How their belief system works and how it can be, how, how to integrate their beliefs with their behaviors, how their mind works, how to manage their emotions. What are the number one, what are the top achievement principles in the world? How to, how to lead from, from the right place, how to manage their time, how to prioritize their life. There's a number, there's 27 different elements that we are teaching with the objective of having well-rounded individuals working in the workplace. And I, Corporates would be silly not to embrace this because if they just keep training people on professional development and then the employee goes home and is feeling crap about themselves and they, they're eating junk food and they're fighting with their partner and they may be going through the middle of a divorce or they, they can't pay their bills, they're going to bring that shit back to work. Excuse my language, but next day when they come back, they're not in the space to be able to give their best at work. And so we can't just expect that we're just going to do some pep talks, have some meetings at work and give them some professional development training and they're going to be fine. And that's why I just come, goes back to the original point that I made. You're dealing with human beings. We're emotional creatures. And something that I took out of that, Ron, is like what is success to them? Because success to every person is different and, and we're not, we're missing that unique touch, that unique, unique, human touch by training one size fits all or teaching one size fits all in the education. So I'm really heartened to to hear what you're training there in your 
bringing it back to uniqueness because we are all different. We do have different values and beliefs. We do have different, you know, objectives in life. And what I feel is gone is that human link. It is. And so you have to start with the human being going, well, what does success mean to me? That's the first thing. And that's fundamentally the first module in our program is you have to become very clear on what success means to you. And we give them a number of exercises to identify their strengths, their values, their purpose, their mission, their passion, their goals. And we say to them, look, do not set goals until you have worked out who you are and what you want out of life. Because if you don't know what success means to you, and you set all of these financial goals that you think you need to set, and even after you achieve those goals, you're not going to feel fulfilled because they're the wrong goals for you. Exactly. And a question I regularly ask my clients is, who are you? And I guess 90% of them cannot answer that. They can't. And if you look at the average individual, you ask them, or tell me about yourself, they will tell you five things. They're going to tell you their name. They're going to tell you their occupation. They may tell you their religion, nationality, or culture. Now, here is a question. Mr. Whoever you, you're speaking to, or Mrs., did you, what did you pick about, about, did you pick your name? No. Did you pick your nationality? No. Did you pick your culture? No. Did you pick your religion? No. Did you even pick your occupation? Or was that a byproduct of cultural conditioning and media conditioning? So it is no, it's a, when we look at why mental health is happening is because you have individuals, so-called educated individuals who are completely lost about their own identity and they can't fix this problem just by getting a secure job, getting a fancy title, getting a good salary, because what they're doing is they're trying to numb the pain by these external trappings of success without fully working out who they are on the inside. And so there is this massive misalignment. There's an incongruency. And when we know there is something in us where we just know when we're not operating from a place of truth and we're not operating from a place of alignment, you can't fix that. So that's why when people keep having this nagging sense there's something wrong, what do they do? They cheat on their partners. They go and drink excessively. They take drugs. They, they have issues in controlling their emotions because these are all symptoms of something inside not being corrected. So we have to go back and ask every individual, what does success mean to you before you pick your career, before you pick your job? What does it mean to you? Because you don't want to spend 30 years in a job and then look back and go, I'm not happy. And we are seeing, we are seeing doctors that are killing themselves, management consultants that are killing themselves in large numbers because they picked all these careers that they thought are going to fulfill them, but they were completely not in line with the individual strengths, their values, or their zone of genius. So they were unfulfilled. And this is why I keep going back to the heart-based intelligence. You see, children have natural intelligence. I have a five-year-old daughter. She knows what she wants. She's naturally expressive, and she knows that she's good at what she wants. There is no intellectual thinking there. There's just a natural gravitational pull, and that comes from the heart. And that's what we need to start emphasizing in our, in our training. Yeah, but that also comes from having a dad like you that's, um, you know, having that good influence. What, what I find is a lot of adults are still living someone else's values and beliefs because they just don't know that you can actually have your own. So, you know, you might have a client that, um, was, in the cot and that's my boy he's going to be a lawyer and that belief at that very early stage is you know put there and they've gone hey this can actually be different and that's where your your model of what does success what does happiness look like to you is so important because you can often be living someone else's values and beliefs your auntie your teacher your parents 
and and people don't actually know that hey i can actually shift this that's that's so true sally and that's the foundation upon which you build your success first identifying what you want because you don't even know where you're going it's like buying the tickets to a flight without knowing what your destination is we wouldn't do that it would be insane for us to do that but we do that with our lives every day yep. Yep. we just go and buy an investment without knowing what we're aiming for so it's just the way we're ingrained to think and it's it has to shift otherwise we're going to keep seeing rising rates of depression anxiety and 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 we're going to try and fix these symptoms by just giving them the pill rather than actually identifying the correct cause of this problem well, that that is a really valid point because you know that we they people are just getting a pill so many people on antidepressants to and which is masking so much of their pain that you know it's still not getting addressed so what i love about what you've said is you're starting at the foundation of a person and you're helping them rebuild that foundation which is it's what we're about to ron it's about empowering people it's not just going there's some mental health issues in the workplace it's going why do we get to where we've got to send the the worker to a psychologist what do we let's be proactive and programs like yours are proactive in addressing it the evidence is so clear that it helps so with people like you putting out that message, I'd like to know what we can do to help you with your program getting out there because we're all for making a difference. I think at the moment, Sally, I just love the fact that you're doing this. And to me, it's so encouraging to see individuals like you because that's true leadership. You decided to make a difference. You decided to uh, take something that is a personal annoyance and frustration to you, but rather than saying, hey, there's a problem out there, you're saying, hey, there's a problem out there and I'm going to fix it. Yeah. So I, first of all, really respect and admire people who do that sort of stuff. So all natural admiration for you already and natural respect for you. Thank you, Ron. Your second, I see that you're collaborative, you, you're collaborative in your spirit because you are, you and I are doing similar work that inviting Ron on your podcast is going to mean less business for you. You saw that the only way to do something of such significance is by collaborating with other individuals. So I already see you as somebody with vision. I see you as some, someone with, in, you know, uh, a, a broad perspective. And so first of all, so uh, congratulations for doing this and allowing me to speak about it. So I think there, I, I'd love to know more about your work and, um, you know, the, the next level for us is to um, start to, we started with men, but we're not stopping there. Uh, as I said, we, that's where we identified the biggest gap. Uh, for me, it's not about men, women, any, or employees. It's really about how we think. And I think I'm on a mission here personally, which is a big bloody task. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Change the cultural, culturally how we ingrain, because that is what I identified. The way we think is the root cause. And until the thinking changes, the emotions cannot change because 100% of our feelings come from our thinking. Uh, and just because people don't realize this because it happens simultaneously. Yeah, and quite often they don't know that it's faulty thinking. Correct. So if you think about how outcomes happen in life, outcomes are a byproduct of our behaviors and our actions. So unless we correct our thinking, the outcomes cannot change. And if they change, they're only going to change temporarily because we're fixing the symptoms, we're not fixing the problem. So I'm on a mission to change people's thinking at the deepest level because when we give them the foundations of what it means to be a holistically successful individual, that kind of individual will become an asset to the world. 
And for me, it's my, that's the mission that I'm on. I want to create as many of those people as possible in the world. So a platform like yours gives me the more further opportunity to voice the mission that I'm on. Um, people see me as a wealth advisor. They see me as this or that. Those are just tools. Those are just money is a tool. Performance is a tool. Mindset is a tool. They're not an end in themselves. The end is a holistically successful human being, a, an inspired human being, a fulfilled, uh, a, you know, a human being, on, a human being that's on purpose. That's the end goal. Everything that I do is just the means by which I create that. Yes, absolutely. And and another valid point is, you know, everyone has to learn their technical skills. We're not taking that away at all. Like a hairdresser needs to learn how to be a hairdresser, a financial advisor, but it's that next level of training that seems to be not taken serious, yet it's imperative. Like I see good people get promoted from the technician to the manager to the leader and then they're absolutely demoralised because they were set up for failure. They didn't have those other skills to lead and manage. They were missing that because they're so different skills. And thank you for bringing, because what you said is so balanced. It's a very mature perspective that you said it's not about taking the academics and it's not about taking the skills. It's just about recognizing that it's not adequate. It needs to be complicated, comp complemented with further training. Um, and, you know, because a lot of people are now on this bandwagon where they're going, oh, but, you know, education systems, well, you don't need to do a degree. You don't need to go to school. That's rubbish. You still need to do that. But that's just going to give you the basic foundations. It's not enough. It is not enough. You've got to know more. You've got to know more about yourself. You've got to know about how the world works, how other people work. You've got to understand about business, how you've got to understand about finance. And these are all tools that you need to be successful in, in the real world because the real world is made up of those elements. So that's what we're trying to bring without discrediting the current education system. We are simply saying the factual, what we're saying is factual. It's inadequate. It's good, but it's inadequate. So it needs to be complemented with further training. Yes, and that's all around a person is a whole. They're not just one component of their life. They're not just their career. They're not just their family. They're not just their finance. They are a whole person, and I love that you're coming from that angle in, you know, holistics a word that we use a lot, but you're actually implementing that, and that's what I love about your work, Ron. Thank you, Sally, for recognizing that. And I always say that uh, what, whatever you see in others is obviously in you. So um, I'd love to talk to you further because there is so much scope. And now, you know, women have I so much of what I have learned, I've learned from women because of their natural ability to connect and the emotional intelligence that they have and the awareness that they have. But, you know, uh, but but even even women largely are missing some of these tools and lots of the women's initiatives currently, I feel, uh, either just bringing women together and bait creating communities, which is fantastic. But again, they're not going all the way in giving the tools that these women need to be self-empowered and to achieve self-mastery. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the workshops that are put on now, and it's, it's you know, not, not being cranky about it, but they're put on with upsells and they're not necessarily the upsell that the person needs. And, you know, I say to people, do not go to get rich quick training schemes get to know yourself first because there are a lot of get rich schemes out there and this is making our people even more vulnerable when they don't succeed you're absolutely right i think you and i are on absolutely the same wavelength and it goes back to the long-term orientation that i talked about in fact there was a 
since we're talking about money, which is a subject that obviously I specialize in, there was a research done by Dr. Banfield of Harvard University, 30-year research, and he found that the number one predictor of economic and social mobility, which is another way of saying that the number one predictor of financial success is long-term orientation. Yet, most of the initiatives out there are microwavable solutions, whether we look at the fastest growing industry in the world is junk food, quick weight loss. So those industries are always going to thrive in a world where people are culturally ingrained to seek instant gratification. We can't blame those companies. You can't go and attack McDonald's. McDonald's is just providing a service that people want. We can't blame them for it. They're not, you, we can say, well, they're perpetuating the cycle, but no one's putting a gun to your head and saying that you need to go through a drive through and, and, and get yourself a, a, a you know, um, a double quarter pounder. So, it, so we, we, we are doing it to ourselves. And that's why I always, I'm very clear on the fact that yes, it's about, it's not about blame. It's not saying individuals wrong. It's not saying McDonald's is wrong. It's not saying the leaders are wrong, but it's about squarely placing responsibility in the hand of the individual, regardless of whether they're a leader or regardless of whether they're an employee. So it is about every individual taking responsibility for themselves. And I love that. And that's my motto. Ron, it's been wonderful talking to you. I could speak to you all day, but I know that you're a busy man. But I would love to keep connecting because there is definitely a crossover. And the more people that can realize that this sort of um, learning is essential and this sort of shift in culture is essential, then, you know, the more we collaborate, the better. Collaboration is king. I agree. Thank you so much for your good work and uh, inviting me on. Ron, thanks again. Bye now. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.